there has been this enormous surge of innovation in the last few years, taking advantage of a more atomized supply chain. The models of flexible asset sharing, the models of making use of this more complex network have started to emerge. I'm Carl Siebrecht. I'm Jordan Lawrence. And I'm Ben Dean. This is the Logistics Leadership Podcast. Ben and Jordan, it's great to see you both again. You know, I was thinking the other day that it's been a little over three months since we hosted the Logistics Leadership Forum in Phoenix and how great that event was. We had a relatively small group of very senior supply chain executives across really all verticals. And we had some other very senior leaders from logistics service providers. And in that forum over a day and a half, I was struck by how deep the conversations got, how open uh, the attendees were about the challenges they were facing and how much they learned from each other because we were able to create this forum for learning. What, what was your guys' take on that? Yeah, I, I thought it was just a fantastic event, Carl. And, and I've been on the road every week uh, since that forum talking with Fortune 500 supply chain leaders. And what really strikes me is the pace of change in our industry and how dynamic uh, everything is. You know, just in the time that we had those conversations to where we are now, uh, it's it's like every two weeks, it feels like the conversation changes. Uh, ben, love to hear your thoughts on, you know, what do you see on the logistics service provider side? Yeah, same here, Jordan. It's uh, It's been an ongoing conversation with our folks in the 3PL and transportation space. And, you know, we said that was three months ago at the leadership forum, right? And it's already changed since then. Yeah, the feedback was great. And there's a high interest in us continuing to do that, which we will, but that will happen on an annual cycle. And we thought, you know, how can we find a way to have this type of conversation more frequently to be able to hear insights from leaders, again, both on the customer side, the provider side on a more regular basis to keep tabs on what's important and what's changing. And, you know, the idea of a podcast seemed to make tons of sense. And so here we are kicking off the Logistics Leadership Podcast. So to kick us off, I thought there was no better way to start than by identifying what the biggest issues in logistics are today. And who better to do that with than McKinsey, given their view that they have across the industry broadly. So I'm going to speak with Dilip Batterjarji, who is a partner at McKinsey and has worked in logistics for a couple of decades. And as I do that, uh, Jordan and Ben, it'd be great if you guys can uh, dig into your experiences and what you're hearing in the market today and the data you're seeing. Yeah, Carl, as you know, I, I love the big picture. So really excited for this first interview. And I'll spend some time digging up my favorite uh, particular data points on the big picture and look forward to coming back on the other side and talking about it. Let me uh, touch base with a few of the national 3PL providers and see if we've got a counterpoint or some agreement on this. Great. We'll see you back here in a little bit. Dilip Batrajarji is a partner at McKinsey & Company focused on logistics. Dilip, thanks for taking a few minutes to talk with us today. Uh, it's my pleasure to be here, Carl. If you wouldn't mind, uh, could you please just start by giving us a snapshot of your expertise and background? Uh, happy to. Happy to. I've been a partner at McKinsey now for 15 years. I started here in the Chicago office in 2007, and uh, I uh, spent the vast majority of the time in our sector that we call travel, logistics, and transportation. 
I got involved in logistics even before McKinsey. I, I, I'm an engineer by training. So when I graduated, I got a job in supply chain. My first job out of uh, college was helping move one factory to another place. So logistics and supply chain was what I did. I will say, when I first joined McKinsey, I joined because I wanted to get out of that world. <laughs> I wanted to get out of supply chain and logistics. Because, you know, in the 90s and early 2000s, that was not the place where people wanted to be. But I, in the last five years, even before the pandemic, logistics has become the cool thing. And frankly, the pandemic reminded everybody how important logistics is and how central logistics is. So and as we go forward, you know, I'm really, really excited about the fact that this is the space that you and I are in. And we, we're going to see lots and lots of interesting things coming to happen. Yeah, that's great. Thank you for that. Um, would love for you to share what you see as the top concerns or challenges in logistics today. If you look at North America, somewhere between 1995 and 2015, the total growth in ton miles, basically in the economy, stagnated. Our country grew, but we were not moving lots and lots of heavy things, long distances for a pretty long period of time, mm. which is very atypical, right? If you think of the relationship between you know, ton miles of goods movement versus with GDP, typically it moves in lockstep. And you see that for 100 years until sort of 1995 when it tapers off. And a lot of that can be explained with you know, the changes, the one-time event of China entering the WTO and the big realignment of global supply chains that happened, right? Right. But after 2015, you can essentially see those two curves sort of snap back. So ton miles are growing not just at par with North America GDP, but actually faster since 2015. So even before the pandemic happened, essentially, we started moving things around the country again in order to power our economy. And there are two reasons why that has happened. One is obviously, you know, the, the China effect, if you will, at some point, Plato, right? Things stabilized across the world, global supply chain stabilized. And, you know, post-pandemic now, of course, I'm sure you're seeing, frankly, more and more stuff getting diversified from a supply chain standpoint, which benefits Mexico, Canada flows. Well, the two other parts of it. One is obviously the massive growth of e-commerce, right, which adds a whole new amount of ton miles into the equation. and the second part, which is a little more underrated, is sort of North America became a powerhouse of energy manufacturing and therefore chemicals and everything that flows from that, from oil and gas. Right. So very interesting time to be here with all of a sudden logistics is a growth sector to be in versus sort of just something you had to deal with as because you had no other option. That is a great macro view uh, that I had never heard before uh, through that wide of an aperture. And it makes tons of sense. So in that context, then, maybe since 2015 or so, what have you seen develop as the major kind of challenges or concerns uh, as part of that broader lens? The first and most obvious implication is e-commerce is driving an atomization of the supply chain networks. As you all know and read, I'm sure all the time, we are building warehouses that are smaller, that are closer to population centers. Uh, the average length of haul of a truck movement in the last decade has dropped almost continuously year over year as supply chain networks have adjusted to a faster, quicker home delivery based model, right? It's just a natural consequence. The middle mile is becoming shorter, faster, and a little bit lighter. 
So moving inventory out closer to where the people are. Correct. As people are moving more and more of their sales through the e-commerce channels, the fulfillment model of those goods that eventually have to be delivered after you do the sale is more atomized, right? The inventory is forward placed, the inventory is closer to where the point of consumption is, which has a consequence for the middle mile and the whole networks, the networks are shorter, faster, and lighter, right? That also means if you flow it all the way back from a logistics provider standpoint, way more opportunities for optimization, way more opportunities for squeezing out empty miles, way more opportunities for sort of doing better routing or being doing more interesting things with flexible warehousing capacity, interesting things with flexible power capacity. So there has been this enormous surge of innovation in the last few years. A lot of it started before the pandemic, but accelerated to the pandemic in taking advantage of a more atomized supply chain, right? The models of flexible asset sharing, the models of making use of this more complex network uh, have started to emerge and all, all kinds of uh, interesting models are coming up. So that's one thing. On the other side, on the supply side, there are two big opportunities. One opportunity is technology, digital technology. Our industry has embraced digital technology you know, just like everybody else has. But frankly, because delivering goods has so many blind handoffs, lots and lots of touches, so many complexities, that the opportunity to truly take advantage of technology in this industry is immense. And we are seeing everybody experimenting with it, lots and lots of fascinating applications inside the warehouse, I'd say the warehouse, the way we are matching loads, the way we are you know, digitizing traditional processes that used to be done on pen and paper, telephones, et cetera. So like our, our industry is like the poster child of disruption, right? Right. Naturally, as a consequence, we have seen this huge uptick in venture funding in logistics tech, which has shown no signs of slowing down in 2022 and 2023, unlike many other sectors. Because I think uh, all investors realize the full potential. Uh, there's a lot more weight to go in our, in our sector. Got it. So on the demand side of the, the equation, sounds like a, a primary driver of, of both challenges and opportunities. Consumer behavior changes. Sort of, we want our stuff faster, which motivates businesses to move their inventory out closer to pockets of demand, which I love this word that you used, atomizes the logistics network or the supply chain, really both, which then in turn creates more opportunity for optimization and also more challenges because there's more nodes in the network. There's more sort of inputs into your optimization model and just more complexity. And because there are more shorter moves outside the warehouse, the nature of the movements between nodes is way more varied than they were 20 years ago, right? When I had 20 big warehouses and I had just run dedicated shuttles between them, versus now I have 45, I think the nature of the optimization problem changes quite a bit because some are long haul, some are short haul. It, it is a way more computationally complicated problem to solve given the complexity of the demand that is coming at us. That's right. And I would add on top of that, it's, it's a very complex problem to solve in a static environment. If you could nail down precision on the forecast uh, at each of those now uh, number of nodes that has been multiplied, that would be a very challenging problem to get right. Uh, it, what we see, it's just the rate of 
consumer behavior change feels like that has picked up too, because consumers are presented with more options more frequently. So that has to add additional complexity into this equation, right? Which is just more difficult fundamentally to, to forecast. I think you're exactly right. It is harder. The demand side is harder, not just because of the structural point, but also because of the consumer behavior and therefore shipper behavior. Right, right. right? It, it, in many of the big carriers, particularly in the middle mile, I think you will hear from them that they have seen and they are feeling the lack of precision is too strong a word, but perhaps you know the confidence intervals around what their customers are telling them, the shippers are telling them. It's not that the shippers don't want to tell them. What, because you know it's in everybody's interest. It's the shippers don't know, right? There's just so much uncertainty that filters through. As it is, the consumer behavior to your point is more complicated. Then you add it, you you filter that through a more complicated network, and so the demand that is coming to the carriers is inherently more unstable slash has a higher standard deviation. So yes, the demand side is becoming harder to optimize. You know, you, one view of that is it's more complicated. The other view of that is, you know, we can use technology to address it versus trying to match it with telephones and pen and paper. Right? There you go. Yeah. And it creates an opportunity for companies, uh, brands, retailers who are uh, more willing to uh, adopt technologies and experiment. Uh, it creates opportunities to create some advantage. Let's talk a little bit about the supply side. What, what do you see as some of the major either dynamics happening on the supply side? or even more specifically, some of the challenges that folks from the supply side of the business are facing? On the supply side, what I've heard the most from people in the industry is labor. There is no question that the pandemic, like in many other things, showed how important it is to have a truck driver available to move masks, to move vaccines, to move everything we need, right? Lots and lots of people stayed at home hundreds and millions of people, you know, who didn't stay at home, dispatchers and truck drivers, not even for a day. That's how we kept going. That's how the Peloton bikes kept showing up in our basements, right? And there is, without a question, even heading into the pandemic, you know, driver shortages was an issue. I think got exacerbated by the huge bow wave of retirements. Clearly, we are seeing a huge challenge on the labor side, right? People have put on crazy signing bonuses and so on. Some of the craziness of 2021 has abated, obviously, because the rebalancing of goods to services in the economy has helped. Uh, but the fundamental issue of an aging workforce, and we just don't have enough people coming through on the supply side, right? You see the airlines massively challenged. You know, if you're moving vaccines and pharmaceutical stuff, you need the planes to fly. And for the planes to be able to fly in the Northeast corridors, for example, we are short of people in the towers. We are short of pilots. We are going to come short in the next five years on the mechanic side. And these are highly specialized things. Like somebody who maintains a jet engine, that's not something you can just put an ad and put up a signing bonus and get someone in six months. Right. It takes years to get someone to train on that. And you can just go down from airlines to railroads to trucks. It's the same labor categories, right? Uh, where there are pretty big shortfalls. The good news is a lot of our big carriers, whether they are the rails, the truckers, the air, the three big modes, if you will, the big players in each one of them have aggressively moved into this area, right? They have set up pilot training schools. They have set up driver training schools. They're, they're getting into conductors for trains. So I am very hopeful that the industry as a whole has 
really taken this lesson to heart. But that is the number one problem. Yeah. Like, we are not short of equipment. We are short of people. It's so fascinating that uh, in the business we're in, we hear a lot and think a lot about uh, labor issues in warehouse employees. Certainly truck driving has been a headline, but I hadn't heard about you know, sort of back even further up the chain to mechanics. Doesn't sound like there's a quick fix for any of that anytime soon. It's not just an industry problem. You are wage band level in the 25 to $50 per hour wage band level where people have other options where there is massive growth. So in the trucking business, you know, uh, as, as we all know, sort of between Thanksgiving and Easter, there's this big shift that happens. Lots and lots of people all the way from Maine to Minnesota show up to drive trucks who were otherwise during the summer doing construction jobs, right? If we have a bigger boom in construction jobs, which we are seeing, more factories are getting built in the country, right? Thanks to the CHIPS Act and all that. That puts pressure on the driver pool. So there are all these complicated system modeling, second order issues in the labor space, which is going to be fascinating to see. And it all points towards this being a secular problem, not a one time, oh, we had a problem in the pandemic. We just opened a bunch of driver schools and the problem goes away. This is here to stay. We have to keep working at it continuously. I'd be curious to hear your view on decarbonization or sustainability as it relates to logistics. Uh, what do you see as, as challenges? for you know, CEOs and senior executives in the logistics field? It is very clear that in most of the C-suite conversations, the carriers are getting questions about their carbon footprint, what they're doing about the carbon profile. And you can see in all our modes of transportation, the carriers are starting to take supply side actions, whether it is SAF, whether it is battery, whether it is hydrogen. Having said that, there is still more work that shippers need to do to translate the sustainability goals into very tangible, practical goals for the procurement function that buys transportation. For some shippers, particularly if you're a consumer packaged goods shipper, right, your scope three emissions, which is where logistics comes in, which, which you outsource, is a huge part of the equation. So naturally, in the consumer packaged good companies, in the retail companies where this is a big deal, they have made a ton of progress, right? So there are leading players where the transportation buyers are beginning to understand, translate, operationalize real change, which is, which is forcing real conversations about what is the mode, what is the equipment, et cetera, et cetera. But there are still many other retailers, 50%, I would say, where this has not yet happened. Like it is still conceptual and theoretical. There is a chief sustainability officer who believes that they should do something, but wiring it into the procurement organization that is actually doing the buying of the, the logistics hasn't fully yet happened. The, but the direction of travel is very clear, right? Things are going to move towards the former. They are not going to move towards the latter. On the other hand, the supply side, there is all kinds of complexity and constraints that will make this transition difficult and slow. It's not going to happen overnight. So those who have electric trucks, right, in yep. Southern California around the ports and so on and so forth, yep. now have problems of charging. You can see this in the uh, trade uh, publications all the time. So at first, we were not sure that we could get the trucks. Now that the trucks have started showing up, we don't know how to charge them, where to charge them, how to get so there's just a lot of like ecosystem friction that still exists that will help the industry decarbonize, and it'll take time. The carriers that are going to remain 
purposeful and steady with a measured hand, I think are moving in the right direction right. versus sort of waiting and watching and then trying to do everything quickly. It's not going to be that easy to do something quickly in the space, given the complexity on both the supply side and the demand side. That's right. Complexity and just the degree of infrastructure uh, is massive. And if we get into hydrogen, then we have to talk about where are we going to get the hydrogen fueled, and both hydrogen and electric and SAF. The, the supply chains for those three, which are the substitute for the carbon-based inputs that our industry currently uses, are very nascent. I want to come back to something uh, you'd mentioned we spoke about just for a minute or two earlier on digitization. So digitization is a significant opportunity to better manage and optimize these increasingly atomized supply chains or logistics networks. Where do you see logistics digitization technologies on the adoption curve? Are we early days or are we kind of halfway home? Good news is we are further along than we are on the sustainability side. <laughs> Partly because in this space, there's also a thriving set of 3PLs and 4PLs who have, have played a critical role in preventing blind handoffs between shippers and carriers, right? In, in making things simpler and taking care of complexity. So because our sector always had strong players in that space, in the 4PL, 3PL space, as those players or people attacking them, wanting to replace them, disruptors, if you will, have tried to do that work with technology, progress has been faster. Uh, these are tasks that are largely end-to-end human-driven, uh, judgment-driven, matching-driven tasks. Other industries around us, finance, for example, have helped mature some of the technologies to do that. Consequently, we've been benefited from that, and we have rapidly adopted everybody who is in the brokerage business, everybody whether they're an incumbent or a disruptor, is today doing some version of digital growth. The actual transition, if you will, to the products, to the technology, has happened. So that's the good part. The bad part is it does create a different economic model. The, the value creation thesis is very different. The cost to serve is different. And so there is still a shakeout that needs to happen between the way you made money in the past with your old cost structure and the way you're going to make money in the future and particularly for intermediaries, business logic or the parallels from other industries would suggest that this will be much more of a platform type winner, take all scale players who will eventually start creating more value and capturing more value. Mm -hmm. And so some sort of a shakeout will happen. That said, in North America, we are a $1 trillion, like it's an enormous, enormous market. Even if it's a shakeout in the market, there's just lots and lots of opportunity for many, many players to uh, make money. But that's the direction of travel. The technology has happened. I would say even the adoption is happening, particularly in the intermediary space. But the sort of consequence of the business model shakeout is what's going to come next. Dilip, thank you again. We look forward to keeping in touch going forward. Thank you, Carl, for the opportunity. All right. So that was quite a conversation with Dilip. I really enjoyed that. You know, there's so much to unpack there. Uh, one of the things to start with is I love the way he described the atomization of the supply chain network, that networks are becoming sort of shorter, faster throughput, lighter in many respects, but that also brings additional complexity to it. That really jumped out at me, and I felt like that's a great way to describe a trend that has been happening for the last, you know, 
five to 10 years. Jordan, what did you think? Yeah, Carl, that I, I'm so glad you brought that up. And I hope everyone caught that, the atomization of the supply chain. But one that really stuck out to me was tonnage shipped was flat from 1995 until 2015. And that that's really remarkable given the economic growth we experienced during that period. But now we're seeing this acceleration in tonnage shipped and that, you know, we're kind of in the fog of war of what might be an economic slowdown. Yes, maybe there's a little bit of a pullback now. There's been announcements from Walmart and Target and Big Lots that they've dialed back their uh, new buildings a little bit. But I think it's important to take a step back and not miss the forest for the trees and know that this is a huge secular trend. And we're just in the early innings, likely, of where this is going. Yeah, those uh, secular trends do tend to get lost with the noise of the latest disruption event, whether it's overseas war or next pandemic. Like, we're just focused on that. But on the warehouse side of things, the number one constraint, and if you went back five years ago, 10 years ago, being labor, still that situation today. But the way they need to address it might be different today, given changes in reshoring and things like that. So... Jordan, what are you seeing on the shipper side when it comes to the labor equation? Yeah, well, again, Dillop just hit the uh, nail on the head here. I think uh, it was a strong agreement with him around the secular tightness in labor. And he did a great job of kind of expounding on uh, everything up to the mechanics that work on the trucks and also uh, the fluidity of this labor, how construction demand and reshoring that drives construction demand can pull the same labor that works in your warehouse or that works, uh, you know, in a, as a truck driver. Yeah, the interesting parallel that I got was the other secular trend in labor in that this has somewhat disappeared below the line with the capacity issues of the last two to three years. But now it's shown up at the front for 3PLs as their, as their biggest constraint and concern. For the operator perspective, I talked with Mike Griffin, VP over at Johnson Logistics. You know, trying to find, and I'll just use an example of forklift operators, is definitely more difficult than what it was, let's call it three years ago. Since we've come out of the pandemic, um, our marketing spend on labor has more than doubled pre-pandemic. And, and that's using different resources from Indeed to radio to staffing companies, you, you name it, we're using that in different markets. Um, to come up with that uh, labor source. Not only is it warehouse labor itself, but the knock-on effects of increased construction and warehousing and in other areas, the areas in resourcing where the same labor pool is just getting drawn from by all these different employers makes it a real challenge for the 3PL industry. And I think a lot of the trends that it'll talk towards digitization and automation create solutions there that we didn't have five, 10 years ago. Again, here's Mike's take. And that's where the automation is really coming into play. You look at the robotics of e-commerce in two or three years, I may be using that automated forklift versus, you know, an in-person uh, forklift operator. We may be forced to do that just because of the difficulty that goes into finding the operator. Yeah, just, just one add-on point here uh, from the shipper perspective, a data point. Um, you know, 2022, there were 25% more jobs reshored than 21, and 23 is on pace to outstrip that. So these are huge numbers when you talk about the scale of the job market and, and what it means to have a 25% increase year over year and, and what looks like to be even more in 23 really speaks to 
why this is a secular trend. There is a force that is in, in play here that's going to continue and continue to drive that tightness. And Carl, you know, love to get your thoughts here, but the, you know, what does this mean for automation and the opportunities there? Uh, it does feel like this this creates this creates opportunity as well as challenge. Yeah, absolutely. And and I like again, sort of building on his his comment about the atomization of networks, uh, which also creates uh, increasing complexity. And one of the critical ingredients to work on complexity is technology. You know, how can we use data and analytics to come up with better forecasts or come up with a better sense of how and where our forecasts are likely to be wrong so that we can build an infrastructure that can be responsive to that, that can be, can be agile. Um, and then, yeah, on the labor front, you know, can we rely on technology and technology innovation to offset some of the gaps that we're starting to see in the labor markets? And I think, you know, his view was that, yep, uh, you know, robotics is one of the key technology developments that's, that's very, very real. Um, one of the other things he talked about was the length of haul, shortening the legs of distribution. Uh, ben, I imagine that probably jumped out to you as well, right? Yeah. And the same thing came out of Armstrong and Associates this year when they did their annual state of the industry in 3PL. Average size of warehouses went down 10% right. between 2022 and 2019. They were bigger warehouses pre-pandemic. As you get closer, you get smaller. So that ties into this complexity play because now you've got a lot more links in the chain where things can go wrong. And what I saw interesting when you're talking about with digitization and different tools around that, who solves for it, right? The 3PLs are trying to solve for some aspect of it. If you're looking at a retailer, CPG, they're trying to look at digitization as a solution. And then there's all these new companies in the mix as well, connecting the dots, connecting the links in the chain. So everyone's taking an effort here, but it's so decentralized, we're not sure where it's going to land. I think it just kind of circles back to the pace of change and how this is going to unfold and the need to be dynamic. You know, this is, again, what supply chain leaders are telling us in the conversations we have is, is they're, they're having to be more reactive and more dynamic than ever before. And I think case in point around the size of the warehouse footprint, if you make long run 10 year decisions and those decisions are predicated on large buildings, well, we've seen how quickly and dramatically that can change. I, I think I'm going to stake my claim on uncertainty and stay there. <laughs> you, you won't be wrong there, I'm sure. But uh, Carl, you mentioned the EVP. So it was one of Dillip's big calls, right? And in talking with Johnson Logistics as a counterpoint, Johnson was saying specifically, we don't know how long those trucks are going to be on the road, what the maintenance costs are going to be, et cetera. Let's listen to Mike's perspective. Cost and availability are probably two of the bigger things and trusting that the newer technology is going to last as long as previous type equipment. Because you think about it, those newer resources and those newer you know, tractor trailers or straight truck like equipment have not been out very long to then show how long they can truly last. Being that we're in Denver and we're constantly going out, you know, into the mountains, it's a harder mile than someone running through Missouri that's flat. So they're tending towards the wait and see approach on some of those things that may be more in the five to 10 year range and taking the ones that have already been proven out as you know, that newest electric or automated technology. Yeah, I'm excited. We have another episode coming up where we're going to focus on that topic specifically 
and very much looking forward to that conversation. Well, this has been a great start to the Logistics Leadership Podcast. We covered a lot of ground. We talked about the changing shape of the supply chain, digitization, sustainability, labor. We'll keep diving deeper into these issues and others in our future episodes. And next time specifically, we're going to dig into supply chain digitization and the current logistics technology explosion. Uh, Jordan, Ben, as always, I really enjoyed the discussion and look forward to continuing this conversation. You've been listening to the Logistics Leadership Podcast presented by Flex. If you'd like to learn more about the podcast or join the logistics leadership community, check out this episode's show notes and visit flex.com slash logistics leadership podcast. Keep the conversation going. Email us at leadershippodcast at flex.com. The Logistics Leadership Podcast features original music by Diaphonic. The show's producers are Robert Haskett and Adam Kappel. Here's a quick pro tip. Instead of chasing down the next episode, why not just follow the show and have it appear in your feed automatically? Thanks for joining us.